Please turn your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 2, where we will be beginning at verse 42. If you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, that should be on page 772. And while you are paging to Acts, chapter 2, let me ask you a question. The question is, what is church to you? When you think of the church, what do you think of? To you, is church a building? Uh, To you, is church a place where you attend uh, once a week? Is church the place you go to receive encouragement, at least until you find another church where you like it better? Is this how you see church? If you do see church this way, you're not alone. Most people uh, see church this way. Most people, even those who have been following Jesus for a very long time and probably should know better, think of church as a place I go and I attend as long as it meets my needs or until I find the next place I like better or better meets my fancy. Though This is how most people think of church This is not how God thinks of church. God invented church. God invented the church with a specific intent in mind. And God never intended church to be just a place to go and attend in a selfish or disengaged fashion. We know that this is not God's intention for the church because in the book of Acts... God gives us a description of his intent for the church through a living model comprised of real people who formed history's first church in Jerusalem. These people begin the story of God's intent for the church, where in the second chapter of Acts, it is recorded that once upon a time, There was this church that really loved each other. Let's look at how the story unfolds in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the first church is described in these words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the description of what God thinks of when he thinks of the church. And you don't need to be a Bible scholar to see that there is a huge difference between God's definition of the church and that of the average person. Here is God's definition of the church as it is reflected in Acts chapter 2. To God, the church is not a place. The church is people in Christ committing to each other through Christ with joyful consequences that bring glory to Christ. To God, the church 
is about radical commitments between His people that lead to these joyful consequences upon His people. The radical commitments and the joyful consequences are intermingled in the words that we just read from Acts chapter 2. So now let's go back to the text of Acts chapter 2 and let's separate out a commitment list and a consequence list. And when we do this, we get a list of seven radical commitments to which God calls me as part of his church and a list of seven joyful consequences I participate in as part of the church. First, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2 and the seven radical commitments of the church. Together, they committed to study and apply God's word. They committed to share in koinonia. They committed to the breaking of bread. They committed to serve each other. They committed to corporate worship and prayer. They committed to make time for each other. And they committed to open their hearts to each other. Let's go over these uh, seven commitments together briefly. The first commitment comes in verse 42, which says that the church was comprised of people who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me come back to this first commitment of the church at the end of this list. Okay, so let me move on to the second commitment, which also comes out of verse 42, which is that the church was comprised of people who devoted themselves to the fellowship. Fellowship is the Greek translation of the, uh, of the word koinonia, the English translation of the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia means to share in common and refers to the deep feelings shared between friends who have something important in common. Verse 41 mentions that the Acts 2 church had over 3,000 people, yet each one of them sensed a deep connection with everyone else because of what they had in common. It wasn't bowling or poker. It was a person. They were friends who all had something in common. They all had a perfect friend in common whose name was Jesus. And already we see that to God, church is not being a spectator who comes and then splits after driving in. Uh, God's intent is that every believer engage in a web of deep relationship, even among thousands of people, because of the perfect friend all have in common. Third uh, is the commitment, uh, the breaking of bread. Uh, Every person who studies the Greek text of verse 42 is struck by the definite article. The believers committed to the breaking of bread. Bible scholars unanimously conclude that the author is referring to communion. uh, and, And how the Acts 2 church found deep ties between each other because Jesus was not only their common friend, Jesus was also their common Savior. Participating in the bread and the cup of communion unites us like nothing else. In communion, we look each other in the eyes and we say, the Savior who gave himself for me 
also gave himself for you. And this same Savior now calls me to give of my life to you in his name. In communion, Jesus wants me to remember that he gave his body for me. And that I need to give myself to his body in return. Where his body is the church. You see, in God's mind, church is my opportunity to give myself to the one who gave himself to me. Isn't it strange how we can turn church into a place where I get for myself? When Jesus commands me to consider church a family where I give myself back to Jesus. By giving financial offerings in worship, certainly. But also and especially by giving myself in serving and in deep relationship with my church family. Which leads to the next commitment. Fourth, the church commits to serve each other. Verse 45 says that the people sold possessions and property to give to those of their number who had need. Now these words are meant to communicate and demonstrate the kind of commitment those Acts 2 people had uh, to each other. It was not lip service. Uh, They had skin in the game. They were willing to put personal comfort aside and actually sacrifice, not just talk about it, but really sacrifice for each other. Fifth, the Acts 2 church was committed to each other in corporate worship and prayer. Verse 42 mentions how they devoted themselves to praying together. And verse 46 says how they would meet every day in the temple. They expressed commitment to God uh, and to each other by their commitment, the way they arranged their busy schedules around corporate worship. They did not try to squeeze worship into their busy schedules. Do you see the difference? In God's mind, the church is the center of the believer's life. And everything else revolves around the church. The church is the central commitment. So that soccer and karate and dance and football must be squeezed around the church as the central commitment and not the other way around. Parents, do you see what you teach your children when you put Sunday church or the church youth groups midweek on the bottom of your priority list? I'm just telling you. That this church gets the leftovers approach and lifestyle is the opposite of the way God sees the church in the believer's life. Sixth, the people of the first church committed to make time for each other. Uh, When verse 46 says that the believers shared meals together, this is ancient Mideastern code for the fact that the believers spent a lot of time together. Uh, In the first century, shared meals were a large and long social event uh, that went on for a long time. 
People in the church spent a lot of time developing relationships together. Relationships that were very deep, as we see in the next commitment. Uh, Seventh, the people of the Acts 2 church committed to open their hearts to each other. Verse 44 says that all, notice that word, all the believers... uh, were together and had everything in common. And by that word, all, just keep in mind that this is not, um, this this relationship to the church I'm describing is not for super-Christians. It's not uh, for those who are really special in the body of Christ. It's for everybody. This is God's expectation for all those who follow Jesus. Anyway, this verse expresses that these people were deeply involved in each other's lives. They shared everything. They opened their homes to each other. They opened their needs to each other. They opened their wallets to each other. They opened their lives to each other. They opened their hearts to each other. And of course, this is what we're trying to accomplish through our small groups, through our community groups here at BlackRock. We know you can't uh, make this kind of deep involvement with the thousands, but out of the thousands, we need to get into homes as those first believers through our community groups. Do you see how God's intent for the church is the opposite of the idea that Oh, church is a place where I go weekly for weekly inspiration until I find somewhere else I like better. God's intent for the church is to be people, even thousands of people, who commit to each other through thick and thin in relationships of depth and meaning. What inspired those Acts 2 people to care for each other like this? Well, it all goes back to the apostles' teaching. The apostles taught what they had heard from Jesus as they lived with Him. And at the core of Jesus' teaching was a word. A word that summarized the radical commitment that He desired His followers to have to each other. Jesus summarized this deep, committed relationship in one word, and his word was love. According to the Apostle John in his gospel, Jesus looked his disciples in the eyes and said, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The command to love was the core of the apostles' teaching because it was the core of what Jesus taught his followers to be about with each other. Jesus taught that love is an action demonstrated by real commitments made to real people. The apostles taught Jesus' model of radical commitment and as a result, Once upon a time, there was this church that really loved each other. And I've taken the time to go over these seven radical commitments because we need to remind ourselves of who we are and who we want to be here at Black Rock. 
Here at Black Rock, we want to be the church like God intends the church to be. Which is the church which all our hearts are craving for. We crave the kind of relationships and the radical commitments that are described in Acts chapter 2. Just like the Acts 2 church, Black Rock is a church of thousands. But we can be, like them, a mighty group that is committed to each other. But to do this, we need to adopt some attitudes and we need to abandon some attitudes. First, we must abandon the idea that church is for me and for meeting my needs and keeping me happy. And I must adopt the new attitude that church is me committing to give myself away to a group of people as an act of worship to the one who gave himself for me. Second, we must abandon the idea that church relationships are a short-term contract that I can throw away as soon as I get bored or distracted or disappointed. Instead, I must adopt the new attitude that in God's strength, I will be devoted, devoted to my brothers and sisters, which means that I will commit to the hard work of sustained effort in relationship and not jump ship as soon as the water gets choppy. Third, we must abandon the idea that church is an organization that is led by those people. And I must adopt the new attitude that as the church, I am part of the body of Christ. That church is us as the body with Jesus at the head. If you understand that the church is us, you understand why it doesn't make sense for long-time BlackRock people to say things like, well, I hope they can make this lighthouse project work. I hope they can get the money for it. I hope they can do it. Listen, BlackRock, the lighthouse project is not they. It is us. We are the body of Christ, and this is our work. And let me remind you that because this has played out over uh, eight years, uh, we as a body have approved this project by vote three different times. This is something that we are doing together. We are going to work hard together. We're going to sacrifice for this together. We're going to cross the finish line together. We're going to celebrate together. And for years to come, we're going to look back on this and say, wasn't it exciting uh, what we did together as God's people for the glory of Jesus? The Lighthouse Project is something uh, that we are doing, not they are doing. Now, let me remind you who I am, because, you see, this is not my project either. Uh, let me remind you, I am not a rent a reverend uh, that you uh, uh, picked out of the pastor tank some time ago. Uh, I have been a member of BlackRock for 34 years. I became a member of this church when I was a high school student. Uh, which means that I chose to unite with this church 
nine years before I became a pastor of this church. I am not a they. I am us. I am part of the body. I'm here just like you, tithing like you, growing in Christ like you. I became a member of this church as a high school student because I wanted to commit myself to you and link arms with you so that we could reach this community with the light of Jesus together. We're committed to each other, uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, Jesus calls us to be the church to each other. So let's do it. And when we do, we will experience the joyful consequences that are described in our text. Here's the seven joyful consequences of the church. Together they experience the awe of God's presence, the demonstration of God's power, the gladness of true friendship and fellowship, the sincerity of genuine love, the pleasure of praising God, the favor of the watching world, and the thrill of welcoming more and more into the fellowship. Let me just highlight the last two consequences in the list. Verse 47 says that the Acts 2 church enjoyed the favor of all the people. Uh, That the church found favor um, relates to the fact that when the outside world saw the way the believers loved each other, the world agreed that they had the very things that everybody craves in this life. The world looked at the church and saw what they most desired because everybody wants to be a part of God's work. Everyone wants to be part of something that is eternal and important as God himself. And everyone wants to do that something important with friends, with people who love them uh, and who they love and are committed to. Everybody wants to be among friends who live together and cry together and hold on together and then cross the finish line together, fall into the arms of Jesus together and celebrate together forever and ever. And this is what the world sees in us as we fulfill our calling and commit to each other here at Black Rock. And as a result, as it says in verse 47, God adds to our number daily. Because the Acts Church was healthy, it grew as a result. Likewise, at BlackRock, our numerical growth is not our goal, it is the result. Just like the Acts 2 church, BlackRock is a healthy church that grows in number. And our Lighthouse Project is needed because it is the natural result of Christ's supernatural work in us as his body in the community. Just let's rejoice in that natural result and get on with being the church together. Now, I'd like to conclude by giving us all, both in Fairfield and at Long Ridge, an opportunity to say something to Jesus in response to this message. During communion, I'm going to suggest that we stand and pray something together. But I want to show you the prayer now uh, so that you can decide whether you want to pray it or not. 
as you stand, you may decide not to pray the, this prayer. Maybe because BlackRock is not your church, or maybe because you've already decided that as soon as this building comes down, uh, you're leaving this place for uh, somewhere better. Uh, maybe because uh, you're not a Christ follower yet, or for some other reason. But let me just show you the prayer so that you can decide. It says, God, I thank you for the mercy that makes me your child. Thank you for the sacrifice that gives me a place in the church. As part of the body of Christ, I exist to serve Jesus. Forgive me for the times I've expected church to serve me instead of you. Jesus, help me to obey your command to love others as you have loved me. As an act of worship to you, I commit myself to my brothers and sisters at Black Rock. Fill me to serve their needs. Lead me to those with burdens I can carry. Give me the strength to keep this commitment when it's hard to follow through. Teach me how to open my heart to others. Show me what I have to give. Make me a giver who brings joy to the fellowship and glory to you. Jesus, to you be all the praise in the church, both now and forevermore. Amen. If you mean this prayer, you know, God will be pleased to make us the kind of church God intends us to be. The church that all our hearts crave to be a part of. And then someday, somewhere, people will talk about our part in God's story saying, you know, once upon a time, there was this church who really loved each other.